first night of the small group is going well so far. Sherman is here, and it looks like our next couple, the Smiths, are coming up the walk now. We'll look forward to getting to meet them. Well, this wasn't my idea. What do you mean it wasn't your idea? Of course it was your idea. My idea? You think this was my idea? Yes, you were the one that said we needed to be in community. You were no, the one I that didn't. said we needed to be in community. No, I didn't. I didn't say that. You yes, said you that. Did. You were the one who said that. we needed to not Honey? go to the church and just see people and then leave. We need to Are know they here? people. They have arrived. Yeah, but you're always trying to sign us up for stuff. You want us to go on Please. Wednesday night. Sound like they're arguing. I, I believe they're angry. Yes, I did. We were sitting Wait. on the couch and I came in and said, well, Let's just welcome them here, okay? You said in general, in general, do you want to Nice to meet you. Great to meet you. Jeez, yes. Mike, we're right. so excited Mike? to be here. Good. Yeah. Glad you know, we've been talking that. about it all yeah. week. Excellent. Thanks for coming. Why don't you come on in and we'll get uh, started with tonight. Were they? Yeah. I, you know, there just, were, I when don't I, when fully when understand. Came I, mean, in, I was I standing right at the door, but yeah, I just, I don't know if they want to be here. Well, Mike and Holly, we sure are excited to have you guys join us. Feel free to take a seat on the couch if you would. So who plays the jazz flute? Uh, it's a trumpet, actually. Oh, uh, I do. Yes. Oh, I love Kenny G. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you have a lovely home. You have a wallpaper on the walls. I assume that's Art Deco? Y you know, I, I believe it is. And you gave yourself a personal tour of our home then. I did, yes. Okay. Your uh, toothbrush, Oral C, is going to need some batteries. Okay. So, what are we doing this thing anyway? You know, on this first night, we're looking forward to getting a chance to meet people as they arrive. But going forward, we thought a sermon discussion would be the right format. Uh, yes. I think that'd be really nice. This is the only thing at church that I have been able to drag my husband to. And now we're going to discuss the sermon. I know the people at this church really like the pastor, but honestly, I've heard better. Sermon discussion? Are you kidding me? I told Holly this was a bad idea. I mean, what are we going to discuss? It's bad enough we have to sit through this once on Sunday morning. I can barely stay awake. Now we're going to come here and talk about it? What is there to talk about? That guy never has anything interesting to say. If there's one thing I absolutely love, it's sermon discussion. I could do it at home by myself. And this pastor and I, I could picture us skiing together, possibly playing chess, backgammon. He's the kind of guy that I connect with. We are like two peas in a pod. <clears throat> Man, that couple, they need some counseling, I think. Well, it is true uh, that I have nothing interesting to say, <laughs> but God does have uh, some very interesting things to say. So this morning, let's pray and ask that what you hear is not what I have to say, but what he has to say. So would you bow your heads as I pray? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to laugh together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather together. God, we do recognize that here we are, Lord, in our own strength, and in that we will accomplish nothing. But God, you have uh, pulled all of this together this morning. You have given us this facility to meet in. You have arranged everything this morning, Lord, so that we might be able to hear your voice. 
And God, we know that we don't need all of this stuff to be able to hear your voice, but we pray, Lord, that it would remove any barriers or obstacles and that you would help us now to be ready and willing to listen and to obey. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. This past week, I had the opportunity, a woman came to me and said that God really spoken to her through last week's sermon when we were talking about speaking truthfully to one another. Now, nothing gives me a greater joy than to think that God is actually speaking through uh, and to people during this time in which we're gathered together. And she explained to me that it was that week that she had found out that a significant man in her life had been lying to her for an extended period of time, that how he had been presenting himself was not true. Now, we've all been the victim of falsehood. How do you feel when you find out that someone has been lying to you? Maybe it's somebody close, like in this woman's situation. How do you feel when you find out that someone has been spreading rumors about you or slandering you or saying something false about you to others? How do you feel when someone breaks their promise or in any other way speaks falsehood or doesn't speak truthfully? Well, if you're like me, the response that you feel is anger. See, last week we talked about the first commandment of community is to speak truthfully to one another. But what happens when someone else breaks that commandment in their interaction with us? How do we feel? What is our response? Well, the response is anger. That at some point we get angry. This woman was angry that she had been lied to by this man who was dear to her. You and I get angry if you find out that your parents have been manipulating you. At some point, yes, there might be sadness, but at some point you're going to feel anger. If you find out that a person in your small group that you've been meeting with for months and months has been lying to the whole group the whole time, at some point, the response you're going to feel is anger. Well, that's why the second thing that Paul deals with as he goes through these Ten Commandments of Community is the issue of anger. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4, it's page 829 in the Bibles the church provides. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 26 and 27. In Ephesians, at this point, we are going through a series in which we want to understand how we can be successful in the relationships that God has given to us. These are, if you will, the Ten Commandments of community. And like I said last week, they apply to all relationships, marriage relationships, friendships, work relationships. We're especially thinking about them in relation to the church and especially our connection in smaller community. Look with me now at what Paul has to say in his second commandment for community. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, 
and do not give the devil a foothold. If we are going to be successful in our relationships, if we are going to be successful in community, if we're going to have the kind of community in which we experience God, Paul says we have to learn how to deal with the issue of anger. Now, he gives us three statements here, and so let's just take them in order. The first one, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, what our translators have done with that phrase is they've taken the first part of the phrase, in your anger, and they've tried to sort of smooth it out or soften it a little bit. It literally says something different in Greek. It actually is a command. It says, be angry and do not sin. But the translators are wanting to sort of soften that a little bit because if it's a command, it sounds like God is commanding us to be angry. And that raises some issues because if you glance down just a few verses to verse number 31, same chapter, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. So what's going on here? Is Paul contradicting himself? In verse number 26, he seems to be implying that anger is something that we do, and perhaps even something that's okay or good. And in verse 31, he then turns around and says, get rid of it. So what are we to make of this? Well, this highlights a tension that the Bible has in dealing with the issue of anger. See, as opposed to something like sexual immorality, which is always presented negatively in the Bible, the issue of anger is sometimes positive and sometimes negative. After all, there are lots of instances in which God gets angry. So what are we to make of this first statement, be angry and do not sin? Well, the first thing to notice is, is that being angry is not a sin. Or Paul wouldn't have said, be angry and do not sin. Now, it seems like it can lead very quickly to sin, but anger itself is not automatically a sin. This is why in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Paul says, love is not easily angered. It does not say that love is never angered. It says that love is not easily angered. Likewise, in James chapter 1, verse 19, James says, my brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, this doesn't mean never becoming angry any more than it means never speaking. It just means slow to become angry. And if anger itself was a sin, God wouldn't have written either 1 Corinthians 13 or James 1 that way. You see, if you've been lied to, if you've experienced someone not speaking truthfully to you, and you don't get angry, there's a problem. 
Something's not right. Listen to this story from Mark chapter 5. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Now, in their silence, what they're doing is they're lying. They're lying about God. Remember last week we said speaking falsely is misrepresenting God by saying nothing. They're not affirming that God always wants to save life. And what's Jesus' response to their falsehood? He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Now, in these cases, James, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians 4, verse 26, and the example of Jesus, we see that anger is presented at least neutrally, if not positively. On the other hand, if that's the case, why does verse 31 say we should get rid of all anger? Why does Jesus say in Matthew 6, if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of judgment? How do we sort this out? Well, here's where we want to differentiate between anger as an emotion and anger as action. Anger as an emotion, these verses seem to be saying, look, if someone sins against you, the right response or the natural response is to feel the emotion of anger. That's the proper response. But when the Bible talks about anger in a negative way, it's talking about outbursts of anger. Verbal abuse, seeking revenge, acting on our anger. I mean, notice this passage. Jesus is angry, but does he act on that anger at all? I mean, he doesn't yell at the teachers of the law. He doesn't punch them in the mouth. He doesn't begin to have an emotional... In fact, he says nothing to them. Yes, he's angry with them, but he doesn't address them at all. In his anger, he simply turns to the man whose hand needs to be healed, and he heals him. You see, Jesus is angry emotionally at their sin, but he's not acting out of that anger. It's not controlling him. And in fact, when you look in the passages in the Bible where anger is portrayed negatively, what it's usually talking about is angry outbursts, things that we say or revenge that we seek, or things that we do in our anger. That's why Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of judgment. The very next half of the verse explains what he means. 
if you yell at your brother and say, you fool. See, he's talking about the verbal expression of our anger. And so we want to understand the difference between anger as an emotion and anger as action. And what Paul is saying when he says, be angry and do not sin, is experience the emotion of anger, but in that, don't let it affect your actions. Don't let it control what you do or else you will have wandered into sin. So what then are we to do with these emotions of anger that come when we're lied to or we're deceived or someone sins against us? If we're not supposed to act out on those, what are we to do with them? Well, that leads to the next phrase. Paul says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And in this phrase, he gives us the insight as to what we are to do with the emotion of anger when it arrives in our lives. To understand what he's saying, would you take your Bible and turn back to Psalm chapter 4? Psalm chapter 4. page 384. Excuse me. The reason we're turning to Psalm 4 is this is a psalm Paul is quoting. The in your anger do not sin is a direct quote from this psalm. And we think that Paul is not just quoting an isolated verse of the psalm, that he has the whole psalm in mind. And that if we see what's going on in this psalm, we'll understand what Paul means when he says, in your anger... I'm sorry, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, the setting for Psalm 4 is that it's a nighttime psalm. And the picture is, is the psalmist is at his bed at night after a very difficult day. It's a day in which he has experienced people speaking falsely about him. He's been lied about. His honor has been uh, trampled upon by his enemies. Listen to what he says. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. And then what he does is what you and I often do in our minds. We begin to have imaginary dialogues with the people who are attacking us. You ever done that? Kind of play out a situation where you get to tell them everything you really wanted to tell them. It's just that they're not there. Well, that's sort of what he's doing here. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek lies is really the way it could be translated. There's a footnote that tells you that. How long will you love delusions and seek lies? You see, they've been lying about him. They've been trying to delude others. They have taken his honor and trampled it underfoot. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. And as you can imagine, as the psalmist in his own mind is having this conversation with his enemies who aren't there, he begins to also have a conversation with himself as he reminds them of what they should be doing. He also begins to be reminded of what he's supposed to be doing. And look what he says. 
in your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? The psalmist realizes that the idea of trusting God in the midst of verbal abuse is very difficult, and it's easy to doubt that God will do anything for you. The psalmist replies, let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. And now as he's at his nighttime prayer, and he's taken this, the lies that he's experienced, the anger that's in his heart, and turned it over to the Lord, he says, you have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is what Paul means when he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. He means when you are on your beds at the end of your day, search your hearts and be silent towards your enemies instead. Take those angry emotions and turn them over to God. Trust in the Lord to do something with them. You see, when he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, he doesn't really mean argue it out with whoever's bothering you until you get it settled. That's not what he has in mind. Now, there is some truth to the fact that if someone has something against you, you should try to work through it with them. But there are times in which those who are provoking us to anger, well, there's no way to work it out with them before the day is over. If it's a parent who is provoking a child to wrath, as Paul will say later in Ephesians chapter 6, there may be no way for that child to get them to stop. In the psalmist's case, there's no way for him to get his accusers to stop being false about him. So the idea is not find whoever you got a problem with and sit down with them and work it out so that nobody has to be angry. In neither Psalm 4 nor in Ephesians 4 is the idea deal with the circumstances that are provoking you. Instead, in both cases, the idea is deal with the emotions that you have and do that by going to the Lord making room for God, that in the midst of those angry emotions, which are in many cases right and just, God says, be silent about them. Come to me with them. Turn them over to me. Make room for me to act. And that idea of making room for God to act leads Paul to the third statement that he gives us. Back in Ephesians 4, if you will. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And finally, Paul says, do not give the devil a foothold. Now, another way of translating that phrase is do not make room for the devil. Don't make room for Satan. And the idea that Paul has in mind is an idea that he's presented in the same sort of way but slightly differently in Romans chapter 12. There he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Do not take revenge, my friends, but look at this. Leave room for God's anger or wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. The words leave room and anger are the exact two words that show up in our passage in Ephesians 4. The idea seems to be that anger itself is not a sin. What it is, is a doorway. And one of two people is going to walk through that doorway. It's either going to be Satan or God. You see, anger creates space. Space in our lives for something to fill that. Paul says, don't let Satan come in. Because that's what anger is. And when you engage in angry outbursts and yelling, when you take revenge, when you allow anger to inspire your actions, Paul says it's not really anger. It's Satan who's come in to control you. You've made room for the devil. But the opposite of that, when Paul says, be angry, but do not sin, what he means is, is that in your anger, make room for God. That's what the psalmist is doing in Psalm chapter 4, is that by taking his angry emotions to the Lord, he's making room for the Lord to do something, to change his heart, to give him some action that he can do, not in anger, but in love, to allow God to take revenge, making space for God. So if in your small group someone shares something that is incredibly personal and confidential with the group and asks not to share it with anybody else and you hear another member of your small group telling somebody outside the group that confidential statement, Paul says the right response is if you feel an angry emotion, that's good, but do not sin. Do not allow that angry emotion to turn into action whereby you begin to verbally berate that person or whereby you begin to share their secrets with other people to get back at them. Or if you're responsible in your small group for planning the next social event and one of the families doesn't bother to come, they don't call, they don't say anything about it, they just don't show up. Paul says that kind of falsehood not speaking truthfully, it creates the emotion of anger, and that's okay. But instead of picking up the phone and yelling at the person or deciding when they host the event, you just won't go when it's their turn. You'll show them how it feels. Instead of deciding you're going to quit the small group because none of these people really seem to care about you anyway. Paul says it's okay to be angry, but take those emotions and turn them over to God to make room for Him to do something. And He says, do it quickly. What does this look like in a real example? Well, I had a story from a small group, but in reality, this sermon is so relevant to other issues like marriage that when I came across an example from the area of marriage, I thought I would use this instead. 
Lisa and I are reading together uh, a book by Tim Keller, Tim and Kathy Keller, called The Meaning of Marriage. You may guess from the video that we need that. <clears throat> but in the book, uh, they tell this story. Tim Keller is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City and uh, doing an amazing work in God's kingdom. And they tell the story about how when they were thinking about planting this church, Tim had talked to a number of different church planters, and they had told him, look, it takes a huge amount of time and effort to plant a church. And so he and Kathy had agreed together, look, God's calling us to do this. I need to work, Tim said, longer hours for the first three years to really get this up and going. And so they agreed together that she would try to take care of things with the family and with the kids in a more extended way. And for three years, he would work these extended hours trying to get this church up and going. They agreed together about that. Well, the three years came, and they went, and as you can imagine, the hours didn't decrease. And Kathy says to her husband time and again, look, you promised. You said that when we got to the three-year mark, you would pull back. But Tim's response every time was, just a few more months. I've got just one more thing if I could just get this done, just one more thing. And what he admits in the book is that he had become addicted to the productivity. He'd become addicted to how much he was able to do. Well, one day, he's coming home from work, and he walks into the apartment, and he sees that the window and the door to the balcony is open. And as he walks into the apartment, he hears a smash. He walks towards the balcony, and as he's walking that direction, he hears another one. He goes out onto the balcony, and there's Kathy sitting on the balcony with all their wedding china stacked up next to her. She has in her hand a hammer, and surrounding her are broken pieces of china from two saucers. As he comes out on the balcony, she takes a third saucer and smashes it with the hammer. Tim runs over and says, what are you doing? And she says, you won't listen to me. I have been trying to tell you for months, you're destroying our family, but you won't listen. This is what you're doing to our family. And Tim says, at that point, I, I figured she'd lost it. And so he sat down and he's like, I'm listening, I'm listening. And she went back through again the promises that he had made and how much his work was destroying their family. And because he, she did have his attention, he began to listen in a new way. And they could work through this. And he hugged her. And at the end of it, he said to her, Honey, how is it that you got a handle on your emotional meltdown so quickly? And she smiled at him and said, Oh, it was no emotional meltdown. She's like, This wedding china? I've lost three cups to the set. They've been broken through the years, and these three saucers are useless. <clears throat> and I was praying that you would stop me before I got to any others. The point was is that she was angry that he had lied to her about when he was going to stop working. But instead of acting out in that anger, what she had done is taken it to the Lord. And the Lord had given her this idea because he did need to be corrected in love, but not in anger. 
And so instead of an angry outburst, this was a planned illustration to try to help him see what he was doing. That's what we're talking about here, is that when you've been lied to, when you've been sinned against, the emotion that stirs in our hearts is anger. But the proper way to deal with that emotion is to take it to the Lord in prayer. And as he takes away that anger, he may give you something like he gave Kathy, a way to communicate that truth in love. He may also take care of it on his own. But that's making room for God. And instead of an angry outburst that would have escalated further and further, what they ended up with was God's presence in their marriage relationship reconciliation, peace, and joy. And the reason why Tim put this story in the book is because he's grateful to his wife for speaking the truth to him in love. That's what Paul is talking about here. Be angry, but don't act out in that anger. Don't act out in, a ma- in angry outbursts or in seeking revenge or in verbal uh, abuse, or whatever it might be. Instead, take those emotions of anger and go to the Lord and do it quickly before the day is over so that by the night you can experience what the psalmist experienced, where God takes those emotions of anger and turns them to joy and to peace. By doing so, you will make room for God and not Satan to come into the situation. And when God walks through the doorway that anger opened, what he brings with him is peace, joy, love, correction, miraculous things. And so Paul's second commandment to us is if we are going to be successful in community, we must manage anger carefully. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that your word is so relevant and so practical. God, we have little video clips that make light of us arguing with one another in marriages or feeling conflict in small groups or experiencing difficulty with parents and children. Lord, but these are very real things. And in many of our lives, Satan has a huge foothold. That anger has been a doorway through which he has come into our lives and is controlling our actions. God, I pray for your forgiveness and grace in all of this, that you would help us to manage the anger carefully. God, thank you that we can take everything to you in prayer, that we can turn these things over to you and make room for you to act. I thank you for Tim and Kathy's story. I thank you, Lord, for the way there are many people here this morning who could share that story. And thank you for the woman that I talked to this past week whose anger was something she was using to make room for you. God, I pray that would be true in all of our lives. Forgive us for our angry outbursts, for our angry attacks on one another. Help us, Lord, instead to come to you with all things and to trust you in all things, that you might be present in every situation. In your name, Jesus, we ask. Amen.